Shabbat Shalom. Um, this is Ezekiel 18, verses um, 26 to 32. Hang on one second. When the righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he will die for it. Because of his iniquity that he did, he will die. But when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he committed and does what is lawful and right, his soul will live because he considers and turns away from all his transgressions that he committed. He will surely live, not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of Adonai is unfair. House of Israel, are my ways not fair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? Therefore, I will judge you, house of Israel, each one according to his ways. It is a declaration of Adonai. Return and turn away from all your transgressions so they would not be a stumbling block of iniquity for you. Cast off from you all your transgressions that you have committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. It is a declaration of Adonai. So return and live. As you've heard uh, today, this is um, specifically, Michael uh, mentioned earlier, that this is one of um, the quote-unquote special Shabbats. I believe every Shabbat is special, but when you study some some of the traditions uh, and so forth, you see that the, the Sabbaths that fall either coincident, like on the same, or uh, prior to one of the, the observed holidays, it's a, a special Shabbat. And there's, I won't go through all of them, there's li- big lists of them. You can go to, to uh, online and see the different uh, special Sabbaths. Uh, you know, we got the, the big Sabbath, Shabbat Hagadol, which comes before Pesach, and then, as Michael said, this is uh, Shabbat Shuvah, which literally means the, the Sabbath of return, and uh, if you're listening, Michael said, uh, I think he said it like, this is the your final chance to repent, you know, and you might be wondering what that was all about, um, because traditionally, this is this is the time where if you got a problem with somebody, um, you need to go to them. Now, before Yom Kippur, that's, this is the traditional uh, viewpoint I'm giving you, um, because that's when the book of life is opened, and you want to get in there and make sure you make it in for another year of life. So on Shabbat Shuvah, and in this time prior to Yom Kippur, um, this is the time to make deliberate moves to deal with per- interpersonal relationship issues. So I want to consider that for a minute as far as this idea of making amends with each other soon or else kind of thing, what about that, you know? Uh, on the one hand, I think um, that that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's good um, to think about that idea of making amends with people so that you're kind of on God's good side, because that, that, that's the intention here. When you read Ezekiel 18 in its, in its entirety, I just had the ed, end of it read today, but when you read, when you read Ezekiel 18, you see this... this um, this scenario that the Lord gives to Ezekiel of, of three generations of people, where the first generation was 
the, the father was good, his son was bad, and then his son was, was good again. And as Ezekiel is describing the ways in which the good person is good and also the ways in which the bad person is bad, the majority of the, the qualifiers or the things have to do with relationships between people. I mean, there are things in there about not worshiping idols. Clearly, that's a, a straight-out of, you know, offense or affront to God. But the other things are things that have to do with person-to-person kind of stuff, what we sometimes call horizontal relationships as opposed to vertical relationships with God. So, for example, the good person has not oppressed anyone. The good person has not robbed anyone. The good person has given bread to the hungry, clothed the poor, not taken financial advantage of other people. Um, Whereas the bad person has done just the opposite. The bad person has oppressed people. The bad person has robbed people, taken advantage, uh, financial advantage of others. So it's this clear, you know, there's more of those things than the other things. I'm not trying to build a hierarchy here. I'm just trying to put, show that there is some emphasis on these, this idea of relationships between, between people and uh, how it applies certainly to this time that we're in of, of Yom Kippur. I think about uh, my kids, and if you've, ever had a, if you've ever had children, you might be able to relate to this. You know, my kids come up and, oh, I love you, Daddy. They give me a hug. You know, it feels great. Little person hugging your leg kind of thing. It's wonderful. Um, it really is. But when I watch my kids and, and, and one of them is, you know, causing trouble with the other one, taking stuff from them, when they hit the other one, I'm like, hey, don't hit, my, you know, don't hit, don't hit the, her. You know, don't hit him kind of thing. That doesn't make me so happy with them. But when I see them... I mean, when I see my kids doing something nice for the other one or giving them a toy or helping them, whatever it is, I mean, that makes me, you know, happier than happy, extra more happy, you know. So the point I'm making is that I think that our, our interpersonal or personal relationships and how we treat others is an extremely important aspect and indicator of our relationship with God. Me as a father, the way I feel about when my children are, you know, doing that with each other is kind of the same way I think God feels uh, with us. When we, as far as how we treat each other. And, you know, here's the thing. People are going to disappoint us. People will fail us. People will let us down. Um, we will fail people. We will disappoint others. We will let people down. But I think it's very clear that we can't use that inevitability, if you will, that, that that's going to happen. We can't use that as, as license or an excuse for us to, to write people off or to assume that, you know, we can have a great relationship with God regardless of that, you know, regardless of how we care about others. I think that that's, uh, that's just not, not the case. That being said, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that, but that being said, boy, that's easier said than done, you know? easier said that we just need to work things out with people so we have a good relationship, you know, make amends with everybody. Uh, and that's what I want to spend some of our time today talking about. And I think we get some instruction and some guidance from, from this chapter in Ezekiel. And I'd encourage you to read the, the chapter uh, in its entirety. And I'll kind of go back and, and look at some other things in the chapter, too, as we go through. But it's hard. You know, I've personally, uh, I've been on both the receiving end and giving end of some very empty apologies, empty promises from people that they're going to do better, be better. And again, I've, I've given them out just as much as well um, because we'd like it to be very simple. We'd like it to say, okay, there's a formula. 
Steve, I'm sorry. Oh, I accept, forgive you, Dave. Okay, Dave, you forgive me. Yep, I forgive you. Done. Over. That's it. We're good. Well, the truth is that doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the feelings come up later. It might be an isolated feeling. And sometimes it's just some deep-rooted, continual things that are over and over again that come up with regard to these, these relationships. So it's hard. So what are some reasons that, that it's hard, and some reasons I think we get from this, this chapter today? Well, one of the things I think it's hard in terms of making amends uh, <coughs> is taking personal responsibility. Okay, when you read Ezekiel 18, you get into all these details. Uh, when you read earlier about the grandfather was this way, the father was this way, the son was this way, and you get into all these details, and I think we tend to um, try to get in and unravel all that stuff and say, okay, we talked a little bit about it last week, and I'll talk about it just a moment here as well, about this idea of, you know, do things pass down and so forth from one generation to the next, and do we have to, you know, we look at all these things that are spelled out in Ezekiel 18, and we try to untangle it all and and figure out whether or not we have... uh, loosed ourselves from any of those inter intergenerational kind of things that passed down. Are we better than the generation before us and so forth? Now, that's a separate topic. Again, I talked about it a little bit last week because it was at the end of our passage, so I don't want to leave it necessarily hanging because I think if you read Ezekiel 18, you might get drawn into all that stuff. And I don't really think that's the real focus of what this this chapter is about. But just to kind of try to tie that up, uh, not leave it hanging, you know, um, the reality is that there is fallout, there is hardship uh, from, you know, effects from from sin, be it prior generations or even just, you know, current people that, you know, we we affect each other when when we do things. Um, But again, that's not, that does not equal God's punishment necessarily, okay, or some sort of persistent generational curse, if you will. Remember one of the uh, Bible, if you've been here before when I've spoken, uh, I talk about sort of Bible 101 stuff. There are, there are three main thing, three things we really want to do when we're reading the, the Bible. You remember what those three things are? First one is context, right? Remember the second one? Context, yeah, I heard it, yeah. Third one, <coughs> also context. So, <coughs> so those three points, context, context, context. I want to go back and look at that uh, in light of this. Let's go back, if you've got your Bibles there, Ezekiel 18, just the first two verses we're going to look at. And I think you see the context of this whole thing. Ezekiel 18, verses 1 and 2. It says, The word of Adonai came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb in the land of Israel? Saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, so the children's teeth are set on edge. A couple things about that. Please note, this is a proverb. It was a saying. Uh, This was not a, uh, a declaration of Scripture from the Lord. It was not a doctrine of any kind. It was a proverb or a saying. And it was implying that the present generation of, of Israelites there were implying that their suffering was because of the sin of their forefathers. Okay, they were claiming, in essence, to be uh, innocent victims, blaming other people for their condition. Okay? In other words, not owning up to their personal responsibility. And Chaim will, Rabbi Chaim will explore this a little more at Yom Kippur um, on Tuesday, but, boy, when we're talking about difficulties and challenges of, of interpersonal, you know, reconciliation, forgiveness, repentance. Um, if that is not a root cause or a root, uh, at the root of the issue of, of reconciliation, owning up to personal responsibility, certainly I think just, I can tell you my personal experience dealing with it, 
uh, if that's not a root of it, I don't know what is, you know, this idea of owning up to maybe there's some responsibility on, on our part. So how do we start to reverse that? How do we begin to reverse the, the failure of our interpersonal relationships due to our non-acceptance of personal responsibility? Uh, I don't think it's a very complicated process. Again, I don't know that it's necessarily easy, but these are the, the places I think we need to start. And number one is I think you simply just need to, uh, to own up to some things. Admit to some things that maybe some areas that you might actually have some personal responsibility in with, with regard to uh, you know, issues you have with your, your fellow brothers and sisters. You know, what, action, what part your actions have played, whether it's intentional, unintentional. Um, whatever it is, number one, just, just own up to it. Uh, number two is not just own up to it internally, but to confess that. Uh, Psalm 51.3 says, uh, this is David speaking after he had a tremendous, tremendous uh, a low point in his life, for sure, with, uh, with Bathsheba and, and Uriah being responsible for Uriah's death to get his wife, basically. I mean, uh, things that, when you read that story, it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous sin. He says in 50, Psalm 51.2, he says, wash me thoroughly, f- uh, I'm sorry, he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty straightforward confession, I think, a pretty good example. So we own up, we confess. And another thing, uh, the third thing I believe as far as an area that we start in, in terms of trying to reverse uh, this idea of, of, of non-acceptance of personal responsibility that impacts our relationships, is to pray for, for blind spots. Pray for blind spots to be revealed to us. Also in Psalm 51, uh, verse 2, it says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And we've heard that word, I think it was even in a song or maybe even one of our, our readings today. And I want to look at that, think about that word for a minute, that word cleansing. Because I think cleansing is not really synonymous with just cleaning, you know. If I think about cleaning, I think, you know, you, you spill something on the ground, you wipe it up, you clean it sort of as a matter of, cor- a matter of course. You put the dishes in the dishwasher, you cl- whatever it might be. That's cleaning. You make a mess, you clean it up as part of your normal daily routine, but this idea of cleansing, I think, is a, is a much, larger, much larger endeavor, really. And I think there's, when you think about that word, there's an implication in, in the word cleansing, an implication of, of a level of neglect when I think of cleansing, um, some kind of overdue maintenance that needs to happen. You know, we talk about cleansing something. That's a little more than just sort of cleaning up. Cleansing is a, a much, much bigger deal. And again, David asks there in Psalm to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and to cleanse me from my sin. In other words, we all have blind spots. And we need to, again, pray for those blind spots to be revealed and softened if necessary. Now, if you're, you know, when I think about that, and if you think about these things I mentioned, you know, this confession and, and praying for blind spots and owning up, that sounds a lot like, uh, sounds like, a, lot like a lot like work, you know. So a word of caution there, that it is work. And, there, and when we do this, when we try to endeavor to, to kind of turn these things around, there might be some frustration. There might be some, some setbacks. Um, there's going to be a temptation to kind of go through, you know, take those steps, go through the motions, but when things don't come out so nice and rosy and clean as we'd like, the temptation is going to be just to kind of uh, conclude that, you know, I've done all I can do. I've done all I can do with Steve. Steve and I are fine, by the way. That's why. But as far as I know, right? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> that's right. He said, never to bring that up again, he said. Don't ever. 
you know, but when we do that, we're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be a temptation to, to, you know, just say, you know, it's just, I, this is out of my control. I've done what I can do. Um, Joanne mentioned uh, Rashi today. There's also another rabbi uh, named Maimonides, and he gives some guidance on this at this time of year. He's got some Yom Kippur uh, guidance in terms of asking forgiveness. He says, you know, you're supposed to go this time of year and ask forgiveness from your brother or sister. And when you read the writings, of course, typical uh, rabbinic writings, is always a question. They never make a statement. Someone says, okay, got it. It's always like, well, what if this, you know, and what if it's raining that day? And what if it's, well, anyways, you know, all these questions. So you go to your, you go and you ask forgiveness. Well, what if they don't forgive you? Well, you go again. And in fact, Rashi says you go three times. You bring people with you. You go three times. And he says, if you've done that and they won't hear you and they won't give you the time of day, consider yourself atoned for. You've done your part, right? So I was, I was reading another little Yom Kippur blog uh, this week, and these people were recounting. This one girl, I think she was recounting, she said, you know, um, when we learned about this in my Jewish day school, she said, immediately what we, would happen is that people would gather in groups. We'd go around and we'd say, hey, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Good. I'm, I'm forgiven, you know. <laughs> and so we laugh at that. You know, we realize, well, that's obviously ineffective. That, that it misses the heart of Maimonides' teaching. Um, that's not what the intention was there. But the truth is that at any given point, I think any one of us are at any, any sort of level of uh, process in terms of reconciling. We're at some stage of forgiveness or unforgiveness with multiple people. You know, we can't just go around and deal with that one. One, two, three, deal with that one. The truth is we're in any stage. So this is work. This is a process. And we have to realize that, you know. Um, in some cases, you know, we might just need to give some time to, to let things cool down with people sometimes before we go in for number two and number three, <laughs> you know, in other cases, again, but in other cases, and this is the part I want to encourage us with today, in other, other cases, we just have simply given up on the process, not realizing it is a process and it is not easy, but we've just given up on the process and we don't want to do that. Um, and something that, that's key, and I think, as we move along in, in our discussion here is at the end of chapter 18, basically in what was read today, um, and a little bit before what was read today, we see this word. You may or may not have noticed it or, or heard it. Um, it's this word that's repeated, uh, I counted eight, <coughs> eight times, uh, this the same root word, between verses 23 and 32. And I think this word gives us some insight into how we are supposed to view things like this, like forgiveness, like this process of forgiveness specifically. The Hebrew word is derech, and you'll see it in your Bibles. Most likely everybody's Bible has the word way, you know, the God's way, your way, this way, that way. Sometimes it says manner or conduct, but it's some word, you basically you'll probably see way, conduct. It can be translated way, uh, road, path, journey, conduct. It's the Hebrew word derech. And that word, you know, it, it means that, that I think about that idea of way is not just an isolated thing that somebody did. It's something that they do. It's their manner of living. Like if somebody says, you know, I saw, I saw Phil popping wheelies on I-25, I'd say, first of all, he doesn't have a sport bike. But second of all, no, that's not the way. I don't, that's not Phil. That's not what Phil would do. He's not that. It's not his way. It's not his manner. It's something out of character, out of the ordinary for him. So when we read this word way, it's very important for us to realize 
that this is, is talking about this ongoing process, and it's, and it's repeated eight times in there. Um, and I think, again, it, it's very important that we think about this as a, a process, a continual manner of, of things. And this is, this is, I believe, part and, uh, this is part and parcel of the, the whole f- forgiveness process, or certainly another impediment, the first one being you know, uh, not taking personal responsibility. And that is the, the tug of war that we see between our ways and God's ways. That's what, what Bix was basically reading today, the, the Lord's ways versus a person's own ways. And in the case of Ezekiel's audience, you know, they wanted justice, you know, and, they, and from, what, from where they were sitting and what they could tell and what they were experiencing, uh, they certainly weren't, weren't getting it. And by the way that God is sort of coming against them, you know, if you'll say that he's coming against them, by the message that he's delivering through Ezekiel, it's clear, you know, that they obviously had something in mind when it came to justice. There was something they had in mind and something... Uh, that they saw around them that certainly just didn't fit their paradigm is why they were, why they were saying these things. And like, just like Ezekiel's audience, I think we, we have our own, our own ideas about what justice you know, should look like um, and how God should administer it. And I think because of that, that, that plays into our attitude of forgiveness when you think about it. You know, someone not getting what they deserve, you know this idea of justice, it plays into it uh, big time with regard to how we view forgiveness. And I think just like uh, the people Ezekiel was talking to, we miss a very large piece of the puzzle when it comes to the, this, this idea of, of forgiveness and, and how justice plays into that. What we see you know, goes on with people we think have done this and that and maybe it's affected us somehow. And the big piece of the puzzle that we miss, uh, Michael mentioned it today here as well, uh, is mercy, the counterpart. Remember last week I talked about, you know, uh, the idea that words are sometimes grouped together. um, And you've got justice and mercy uh, often grouped together as well. Because when we hear about this, this is Yom Kippur, and you need to make, you know, need, need to get your relationship straight with people, or else, you know, the idea, the or else idea is that you're not going get to in, get into the, the book of life, or, or God's not going to be happy with you, and so forth. I think we're, we're comfortable with that in a sense of, yeah, that makes sense. That's how it should be, you know? You either do, you either make up with your brothers and sisters, or you make, do things right, or else, and that's the way it should be. Uh, in fact, that idea that we have about justice, the go-get-em-God uh, kind of justice, is something that plays very much uh, into the reason that other people don't believe in God or won't believe in God. And that's a continual, it's, it's, this, uh, it's, it's termed as the, the problem of evil. You may have heard that if you ever read any, any books that talk about you know, how to defend your belief in God and so forth. One of the biggest uh, obstacles is defending your belief in God in the face of that there's so much evil in the world, so many, so many horrible things that go on. And so this idea that we, we get this idea, and I think it feeds into what we think our idea of justice is and so forth, and the fact that people say, look, if there is a God, why is there so much of this stuff going on? Why are people so mean to each other? Why do these things happen? And, and furthermore, if you're saying there is, and that's how God, if he lets that stuff, you know, transpire, then I don't want anything to do with that God. So that's kind of the, this idea that we have about justice feeds into that. 
you know. We see somebody, you know, they, they can just make a deathbed confession they're going to be with the Lord. And you know, my grandmother who was in the gas chambers, she won't. I mean, that's kind of a, a, an issue with Jewish people you might run into. It just doesn't compute, you know, with their attitude of, of justice. And that's a significant thing. I'm not going to get into all the, the responses for that kind of thing, but the point I want to make, the real point I want to make is that I want us to consider that we assume that their idea of justice, our idea of justice, equals God's idea of justice. And that's just another example of that tug of war between God's way and our way. You know, does God want us to get things right with our, our fellow human beings, our neighbors, during this time of year? Of course. Of course he does. I think not, not just this time of year. But again, we can identify with it right now because this is what uh, the rest of the Jewish community is, is thinking about. But all the time, of course. But here's the thing I want us to consider is that, you know, do we, do we think that God is just up there sitting, you know, waiting, watching to see? Are you going to apologize? Because if not, you know, Tuesday's coming, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> is, that, is that God's attitude? Watching with a real keen eye, right, to see just exactly what we do. Um. But I think that's where we really miss it. I think that that's what I think is something that we can all take away from this Shabbat Shuvah is that his character is not like that. It's not that he's waiting to take you out if you don't shape up. His desire is that you turn, is that you, you turn to his ways, from your ways. Twice here in, cha- in this chapter, once in verse 23, if you look, if you got your Bible, you can look in verse 23, and again in verse 32, the basic idea between those two verses is God saying, look, I don't take pleasure in the death of anyone. I I desire that they turn, that they turn from their ways. That's what he says pretty much between those two verses. And his his core character, God's core character and his desire is not about him waiting to uh, annihilate you. And again, I think that's a, a misconception. I think that's part of our ways, kind of what we would do, what we understand, what we're comfortable with, versus what God is clearly saying here in this passage. He's not... He's not that, that other way, but he, he is tuned into you. I think, and I'll, I'll read here verse 23 in just a moment. I think we'll see that, that he is tuned in. He is waiting, kind of like on the edge of his seat, kind of with his eyes open, with, with his ears really tuned, watching for what you do, hoping that you'll make a lifestyle change, hoping that he can, he can kind of cheer you on in that, in that respect so that you'll make a, a change in your path, in your manner, not an instantaneous, you know, uh, like my neighbor, you know, had a rabbit that was injured, and he, he nursed it to health and brought it over to the other rabbits, which I uh, in my neighborhood. But uh, you know, he's not looking for those kind of isolated events. It's more in a change of your manner and your way and your way of walking. Let's re- let's, let's let's see how this is spelled out in verse twenty-three. Um, verse twenty-three. There, let's read it. It says, "Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked?" Says the Lord God, and not rather that he the wicked, should turn from his way and live. And actually, your, some of your translations may not say it exactly that way. It may say, but it literally says turn from his way. It's using that word way there. Some of them I noticed say it differently there. Now, this doesn't mean that God uh, won't punish, doesn't punish. Again, keep, get, get, get this, is that it's talking about, it's not so much about all the other things in this chapter, all the good guy does this, the bad guy does this, and God punishes. It's, it's about what God takes, takes pleasure in. It's talking about what he takes pleasure in. You know, our character uh, is that people get caught, <laughs> at least mine is sometimes, 
they get they get what's coming to them. And when we think about justice, man, justice was served. You know, that's kind of how we think, and, and and that's true in a sense. But then again, we have to realize that for for God, justice also He wants He He wants people to to be caught, and you will so so to speak, or to turn and repent. So they'll be they'll be changed, and they'll go to they'll go to His ways. He takes pleasure in that. Whereas we get excited about you know what people people getting what's coming to them. You know, that's what we wait for, as opposed to the way He waits for them to turn. You know, we see justice that way. His character is that he delights in those that turn from their ways. So on Yom Kippur, should we seek, you know, forgiveness from, from those that we have broken relationships with? Of course, you know. Not only should we, though, I want us to realize that we, ha- that we must, we have to. Whether it's today, the point is it has to happen. It has to be part of the process. Uh, if we are trying to seek a pleasing relationship with God. We have to realize that, that that is an issue. It is an impediment. And I know there's all kinds of specific details and, you know, but you don't know what this person did, all that kind of stuff. And there are things we need to work out. But the big picture is that God wants us to turn. God wants us to have those, those relationships worked out with one another in order to have that relationship with him. So, again, where can we start? Where can we at least start this process? We own up. Own up to, to our part of the deal. Be honest about our personal responsibility in the matter. There's probably some speck of it in there, maybe, probably, 99.9% of the time. There's something there. And we confess it. But again, maybe we just don't see it. So we pray. We ask God to show, show us our hidden areas, the areas of neglect, areas that, that are overdue maintenance areas, you know. Sir, you really need that throttle body on your car cleaned out. When's the last time you cleaned it out? The throttle what? The throttle body, you know. I don't know. Okay, we need to, you know. So the point is, ask God to show you those areas that you've probably never even heard of, maybe, that you don't know about, that you're not seeing uh, when you look in the mirror. You're not seeing when you analyze the, I said this, they said that, they did this, I did that. I, you know, ask to see those blind spots and ask for those, those areas to be cleansed. So we own up, we confess, we ask God to show us the blind spots. And then we turn. We change, change your ways to his ways. Again, easier said than done, so you, we, we pray for help with that. That's not an overnight thing. That's not a helping a dying rabbit kind of thing. That's a long-term changing the manner, changing your ways, changing your derech. And then the last thing is to understand that this is also his desire, okay, his character. It's not to, to zap you, to, to nuke you, to make you feel bad, uh, but his desire is that is that you turn, that you see, that, that that to see you change your ways to his ways in order to be blessed by him. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the effort, Lord, to to communicate with us your overarching desire for us to change our ways, to change our ways and live. Thank you, Lord, for your persistent and unfailing patience with us. May we just be able to show that to other people as well, Lord. We help, you know, help us to see that because of your patience, we definitely should extend that to, to others. Help us, Lord, to not give up on the process of, of forgiving, the process of forgiveness, Lord, asking, and for, asking for it and for receiving it, Lord. And we not think that it's a time of, that, it's, that it's hopeless or helpless or, or anything, Lord. 
And let this time of year, this time of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, this time in between, Lord, let it be a, just a, a turning point. Let it mark a turning point for us where we would, we would start to at least move in that direction to change our ways to your ways, Lord, and to change our outlook of, of why you want us to give and receive forgiveness that has to do with our, our relationship with you, Lord. So we just uh, we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.